0: Hello, survivalists. This is the Crux True Survival Stories, and I am your host, Casey McIntosh, joined today by Julie Henningsen. Hi, Julie. Hi. Today, Hi, I Casey. will be telling you the story of Laurent Camprudi, a seasoned sailor who's attempting to qualify for the Route de Room, a 4,077 mile sailing race, which he coined the Mount Everest of sailing. When he hit some rough water and his sailboat capsized, leaving him to fend for himself in very cold conditions, rough water, and in a very small space, and in a difficult position for rescue. (music) Gotta say, after doing this podcast, the thought of open water in a small watercraft makes me feel a little bit uneasy.
1: I'm with you on that, Casey. Even uh, before I heard these horrifying open water survival stories, I would I would not
0: be into that situation. No, we either. were in Mexico recently, our friend Matt, who is a big commercial fisherman in Alaska, he has a friend down there that does some big sea fishing and wanted to take us out for the day. And I was just thinking, like, I don't know about that. I'm not so sure. So we ended up not going. I totally pulled the kid card on that one. Like, oh, our smallest child is four. I think we'll just not go. Well,
1: it's such a commitment in a situation like that. Once you're out there, you're out there for a while. I mean, it's even if it's just a few hours, if you're feeling seasick, which can make you miserable, there's no quick exit Right. And I'm strategy. not even thinking
0: about the seasickness part. I'm just thinking if something goes wrong, this is the last place in the world I want to be is stuck on a boat in the ocean. Anyway, Laurent had left Portugal on July 31st on his attempt to qualify for the Route de Rume, which is a race that only occurs every four years. This sailing race starts in St. Malo in France to Guadalupe, which is a string of islands in the Caribbean. He'd been battling rough water since he departed, and his second day on the water wasn't showing any signs of improvements. He was approximately 15 miles off the coast He was approximately 15 miles off the coast of northeastern Spain on his 39-foot sailboat named Genie. He was approximately 15 miles off the coast of northwestern Spain on his 39-foot boat. His destination was Charborg, France, a destination of 1050 miles to the northeast. I'm not really sure how long it would take to sail 1,050 miles. So I did a little bit of looking. And apparently if you're going 50 miles an hour, it would take about 20 hours. So I would imagine in rough water, you would be going quite a bit slower than that.
1: Yeah. I picture 50 miles an hour is really cooking if you're sailing, but I don't have a great frame of reference either. If you had like the wind
0: at your tail, maybe parts of that trip would be 50 miles an hour, but also, I should be saying knots, how many knots it is, because all the water people, that's that's their lingo. But I don't have an understanding of how fast knots are compared to miles an hour, so. So sorry, you water folks. So Laurent had years of sailing experience. He'd been sailing since his 20s. He was a French native, and he had a great passion for sailing. He was extremely skillful. He'd been working on mastering the art of solo sailing for about 10 years. Single-handed sailing in and of itself is a really dangerous sport just because it increases the pressure and the individual risks if something goes wrong. Without other hands or eyes, the responsibility to stay flow is solely on one individual. And of course, you're going to get tired and you can't just rest when you need to.
1: Yeah. I feel like sleep would be the biggest part of the challenge uh, in something like that for me. I've always thought about that as you can't just, you know, go to bed for the night and get rest. And even in your
0: sleep that you're getting on a boat like that, how much rest are you really getting? It's almost sleeping. It's like sleeping next to a newborn baby where you're wondering when it's going to wake up. You can't really get restful sleep. Apparently there's some debate about when you should sleep and how long you should sleep amongst these solo sailors some of them feel like using an anchor and autopilot is enough but others don't feel like you could ever de- do this safely and i can understand where they're coming from
1: yeah can you imagine being on a autopiloted boat in motion on the ocean and by yourself no. and being asleep <laughs> that, that that sleep would not come for me in that yeah, this scenario
0: is- exactly one of the main reasons that I don't ever want to do this. Aside from the fact that I've never sailed in my life, there's also that. Laurent was 62 at the time of this incident and he was in really good shape. He made a priority to exercise regularly. He was doing a bunch of training leading up to this, doing lots of weight training, lots of core strengthening, just in the event that he would hit some rough water. He needed that core stability, but also he was a lifelong cyclist and runner. So he's a very active individual at baseline. He went down or he went into the cockpit to rest after 12 hours of sailing. And at this point, there are six to 10 foot waves. They're crashing on the side of the boat. He's just kind of sitting there. He's not really resting that much, but this giant wave hits the side of the boat and he feels the boat slowing. And after bracing himself, he notes that the craft is leaning or listing to one side and he recognizes that the keel has come off the boat and that's the weighted portion of the boat that helps keep it upright. He knows that that second the boat is capsizing. I'm sure it happened very quickly. He realizes he has about 15 seconds to get down below. Otherwise it's over for him. So he runs below the deck. He attempts to close the door on the way down there, but he didn't even have time to close the door. Water is coming in and suddenly Jeannie flips abruptly upside down and it's just bobbing there in the waves. He's and he's, he's in the
1: cabin. Below. Yep. Wow. Right. Cluster. So there's
0: he's flipped upside down, of course, but he's got this little air bubble right by the door. He's lost his glasses. All his computer gear is smashed up and it's been thrashed about. It's floating around in the water. Luckily, he was able to find his survival gear, which is impressive because I would imagine it's pretty dark in there at that point. And everything's been thrown all about but he was able to find it. And then he went back to his starting location by the door because that had the most air within 20 minutes. He was able to call it an SOS and thankfully in his survival kit, he had a neoprene suit, basically a onesie with a hood and he had booties. So he start started putting that stuff on the water temperature was about 68 degrees Fahrenheit and the water level was up to his chest so he doesn't have a lot of space. At 8 23 PM, a few moments after the signal, the SOS signal, help was headed in his direction. The Spanish Ghost Car- the Spanish Coast Guard was organizing the rescue mission, and it included three helicopters, two rescue ships, and five divers. Which is a lot. That's a big rescue crew.
1: Yeah, and at this time is he still in the down below yeah. part of the boat upside down with, mm-hmm. in, with the air bubble. Did he, was he able to put his yeah. neoprene suit yeah, on? He was know, in those conditions? So
0: again, the water was up to his chest. He started by putting the pant portion on and then the top. I can't, I think that would be really difficult when it's wet. It's hard to get that gear on because it gets all stretchy and weird. Yeah. That's
1: what I was imagining trying to put that on. Yeah, I'm sure it was difficult. Water. He
0: had something to hold on to. I'm not really sure. Some Maybe it was the railing to the door. So he had something that he could pull himself out of the water a little bit with. But of course, that is going to require some strength. And you're only going to be able to do that for so long. About an hour after the call went out, someone in a helicopter spotted the bottom of his sailboat in the swirling, forceful sea with six to ten foot waves. And they noticed the keel was missing.
1: That's a observant onlooker. Oh, right. Lucky
0: for him. He could have been overlooked altogether. At that point, the crew had considered lifting the sailboat out of the water with slings. But the concern with this idea was that it was really windy. And so lifting up some large object in the wind, that could be a complete disaster. And also they didn't know what the situation was on the boat. And if he was in it, who knows what might happen if they lifted it out of the water. So the rescuers attached buoyancy balloons onto his ship so it would keep it afloat so it wouldn't continue to go down. The first diver was lowered into the water and his job was just to get an eye on the inside of the boat to determine if anybody was alive inside. He was slamming his fists on the hull and yelling loudly, but he didn't hear any response because it's super loud. There's really a lot of wind, a lot of sound from the water. Camp Rudy was busy inside trying to get the top of his prune suit on. And so he couldn't actually respond with his arms. He couldn't bang back. He was just shouting, I'm in here. I'm in here. He wasn't sure if the rescuer had heard him or not. And then there was utter silence and he was left alone. Just knowing I have a limited amount of time in this air bubble. And I don't know what's going to happen with this rescue. Luckily for Camp Rudy, the diver was able to hear his shouts from the inside of the boat, but due to weather and safety issues, all the team decided that they couldn't actually attempt a rescue at this point because it was putting everyone at high risk. So essentially they just decided that they were going to leave him out there for the night and come back in the morning and daylight.
1: Wow. That is wild. I just, part of me is just saying, just open that hatch and swim out. Yeah, Just well, get out of there.
0: They're right there too bad. It's probably a good thing because what you'll come to find out is that it wasn't a straight shot out of there with the boat flipping completely upside down. And then probably the waves that were going on at that time, there was a bunch of wreckage from the boat. And that was keeping a barrier between where he was sitting in the boat and the outside. So there was really not a lot of way for him to get out easily.
1: Okay. That makes sense. It's a little more calm than I'm visualizing. <laughs> it's hard to believe
0: yet. being on a rescue team and just thinking, oh, we're just, we'll just we just come back in nine hours or whatever it is. I can't imagine how that night of sleep would go because you're wondering, especially they knew somebody was alive in the boat. They heard his cries. So that would be a restless night for, of course, our survivor, but also the rescuers. Exactly. So back at home, Brady's significant other had received a call she thought was from a telemarketer, but it was actually from France's Ministry of Defense in Marseille. She finally recognized that it was important, obviously, and called back. And she was then told of the situation. She actually didn't know any details. She just knew that there was a rescue attempt going on and that his life was in danger. Her name is Virginie Philip, and she sat with their 12-year-old daughter while waiting anxiously. And they also have or had a three-month-old infant at that point in time. She missed most of the night of sleep because she was anxiously waiting by the phone. And she tried to call the team manager for the race to see if she could find out any details, but they didn't have any details to give her. So so in the evening, she receives a call from the organizers of the route to room, notifying her that they had discovered Cam sailboat had capsized. And she had learned at that point that the Spanish Coast Guard was involved. She was unable to sleep all night after finding that information. And in the morning, she was called by the Ministry of Defense and they had bad news and did not expect to recover Laurent alive and said so his chances of surviving were exceedingly low. At this point, she just starts calling all of his family and lets him know what's going on. His brother felt like that you know, there might be a chance that he could survive and just essentially said that he was extremely stubborn. So if anybody was going to make it out of this situation, it was going to be him. His
1: brother probably knew him almost better than anybody else and knew his uh, constitution that it, like you just said, if he was, if anyone could survive, right. he would.
0: As Cambrutti sat in his air bubble, he was getting really fatigued and tired and he started losing hope especially because he had had no communication with the rescuers. So he didn't know what was going on. The air bubble probably seemed like it was shrinking and his face was exposed to a bunch of gasoline because he had an onboard engine in the event that he needed a replacement engine and there was gasoline mixed in the water. And so it was stinging his eyes and his skin. And so he had to continuously keep his eyes closed and protect him. He began to lose all track of time because he was fighting to stay awake. And he was also trying to hold part of his body out of the water so he wouldn't get hypothermic. And then all of his muscles just, you know, obviously got very tired out from doing that. He was trying to focus on listening for any sounds of the Coast Guard. You know, his, his ears were pricked up. He was just trying to pay attention to everything that he could hear, probably just to keep his hopes up. And he also was thinking a lot about his three-month-old son and his 12-year-old daughter. Also, he had three grown children from a previous marriage, just thinking about his relationship with them and you know, wondering if he was going to ever see them again. He eventually got so tired, he just let go and back floated in the water for a little while. And then right around that time, he heard a knocking on the boat which was just before 9 a.m. At this point, he'd been submerged for 13 hours. The water was finally calm, and so they could go forth with a rescue attempt.
1: I bet his air bubble was just getting lower and lower on actual oxygen, too. It's impressive that he could survive off that same air bubble I know, for especially hours. if it's
0: gasoline-filled. That would be a terrible, horrible experience. The diver's went back down into the water to look through the window to see if there was any movement in there. And they were able to see him kicking his little red booties through the window. So they were, I'm sure, elated. You might think that they were in the clear and that this would be easy, but again, there was all this wreckage of metal and wood, and it took them two to three hours to completely clear a path so they could get him out of the door. Then one of the divers was standing on the, top, or on the, the bottom of the boat, yelling down to him, which I can't believe that he could actually hear this, telling him how to get out of there. And he was going to have to self-arrest. They thought about breaking the window, but the window was small enough and they figured it's just going to completely fill with water. So they were worried about his safety.
1: I'm just wondering if the rescuers had um, scuba equipment and could just you know, go under there and kind of escort him out. They must not have if they were... Coaching him to swim
0: himself out. Right. By just holding his breath. I know that's kind of crazy, right? I was surprised about that. You would think that swimming out wouldn't be overly risky, but apparently it's extremely risky because he had the risk of being pinned down by all of the water that's coming toward the boat as he's trying to exit. And so he was worried about not being able to get to the surface. His heart was beating and there's adrenaline pumping through his body and he forced himself underwater and swam with everything that he had left fighting for his life against the force of this oncoming water. He made it up to the hole and then another six feet up to the surface, which had to feel like forever. There was a diver waiting with a harness. Once he got up there and hooked him into a harness so he could be airlifted into a helicopter. He hugged the diver who was the one who first made contact the night before and told him he didn't know if anyone was going to come for him. The diver said that he had been afraid that Camp Rudy wasn't going to be able to stay alive through the night. So Rodrigo Piniero Gill was the boss of the search and rescue vessel. And they, he said that his biggest fear was that the ship might sink And he said, once the divers managed to get the survivor to the surface, the tiredness vanished suddenly. And I could only feel emotion. He said that the 16 hour time period was agonizing for him and intense for all of us. And the moment that Laurent appeared from under the boat as turning from despair to happiness in a second, thus removing all fatigue that we had accumulated over us as if it was a shot of adrenaline. Cambruti was airlifted and taken to a Spanish hospital. And again, he had been capsized in his boat, Jeannie, for 16 hours at the time of rescue. He was tearful as he spoke to Virginie, his significant other. And I can't imagine the amount of relief that both of them must have been feeling in that moment.
1: Yeah, especially since she was told that he probably wasn't going to make it. Probably part of her had sort of given up hope. What a beautiful uh, reunion to hear his voice at that point, especially considering they have this, that has to be baby. such a
0: terrifying amount of time where you're just sitting by the phone, wondering, wondering what's going on at the time of his arrival to the hospital. He'd lost 15 pounds within 16 hours. He's treated for exposure to gasoline. They had to rinse out his eyes and he was treated for hypothermia.
1: That neoprene suit must have I think saved that his life. Did. I'm just imagining <laughs> like the pure science of being submerged in 68 degree water for 16 hours and not dying of hypothermia.
0: I just think amazing. The fortitude that you have to have in order to sit through this type of experience, because he had no idea that they actually had put those um, buoyancy inflatables to hold up his boat. And just wondering at what point is this air bubble going to completely go away? The whole boat will sink and then also I wonder how many people would have tried to get out of the boat initially, like right away. And that definitely would have been sudden death for him because he would have been out in this ocean with six to 10 foot waves, you know?
1: Yeah. He sounds like he kind of kept a cool head. He kind of just hunkered down. And there moved.
0: is the story that we covered a while ago, which is uh, Harrison O'Keen. He actually survived three days in a sunken ship. He was this Nigerian cook on a tugboat off the Nigerian coast. He didn't have a lot of experience in water at all, but the boat was stabilizing an oil tanker and he was one of 12. This ocean swell came out of nowhere and flipped his boat and the boat sank with the exception of, well, I mean, it did sink. It went all the way down. There was this air bubble in the bathroom where he happened to be when the boat sank and he was in there for almost three days. He was rescued. And he was he rescued? you got to go listen, listen to that episode. They had to bring him out in this um, pressure-sensitive chamber so he wouldn't get the bends when they brought him back up because he'd been submerged for so long.
1: Oh, that's like being buried alive. I know. Worse. It's, it's oh. terrible.
0: And there's at one point, he thinks that there's a shark swimming around in the boat. It's crazy. They're yeah, it probably was yeah. so yeah. if you get bored someday, Julie, you'll have to take a listen to that one. But I'm not saying that that tr- like nope. to be fair, this is a terrifying situation if you're in a capsized boat for an hour or a minute or three days. you know like I'm gonna take a hard pass on all <laughs> air bubbles. all submerged boats. all adventures. Yeah. All adventures that might end in me breathing <laughs> in an air bubble. Okay. I'll take, I'll take any potential adventures we are going to go on with air bubbles off the list. <laughs> Sound good. That sounds like okay, a good plan. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of the Crux true survival stories. Um, and hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, Casey.